0: hi, this is Randy Landry and this is my 169th podcast of Common Sense and ramblings in America. Today I'm going to continue on with my readings from my first novel, the Anderson family Saga. Today I'm going to be reading chapters five and six. So without further ado, let's begin. The distance from Halifax to Sauk Center, Minnesota, was over 2,000 miles. I will spend some time discussing his railroad trip from Canada, since I only briefly mentioned the original journey and passing in a previous chapter. The main reason I did not discuss the original route Grandpa Gordon took to get to Canada was because it was all a blur for him. In his life, he had never traveled further than to Minneapolis, so when he decided to join the RCAF, he was away out of his comfort zone so his mother gave him some of her much cherished tincture of opium or laudanum he took one small swig of it when he boarded the train and the next thing he remembered was crossing the border into canada prior to that he had a vague feeling that someone had dragged or carried him but of that he is not entirely sure When he reminisces about those times, it seems like a lifetime ago, he is still amazed at how much he has grown and matured in the last four years. Certainly being exposed to constant life-threatening events will make you grow up pretty quickly. He had lost track of how many times he had faced death from either German fighter pilots or anti-aircraft ground fire. So how could a train ride ever compare to those harrowing adventures? Indeed. The train ride from Halifax, Nova Scotia, Canada to Sox Center, in Minnesota would take over 55 hours of travel time and involve four train car changes. The first one being at the St. Lambert Station in Montreal. The second would take place in Schenectady, New York. And the third one would occur at Chicago Union Station. The last one would be in Minneapolis. The first two exchanges were quite short and lasted a little over an hour each where the one in Chicago would be almost five hours long, so he thought he would avail that time and do a little sightseeing. Since the rail line to the town of Sauk Center was not a main line, there was only one train a day stopping at it. The train didn't depart until eight in the morning, so he planned on staying at a cheap motel after he arrived in Minneapolis at approximately 11 p.m. the night before. He knew that the scenery along the way would be Excellent as the train hugged portions of the Great Lakes of Lake Erie and Lake Michigan in particular He also spent a little extra money and got a sleeping car for two of the four legs He thought since he was going to spend 50 plus hours on the train He definitely would be needing to get some sleep no matter how excited he was going to be Besides what was he going to look at during the nighttime? Before he left Halifax he bought a slightly used black Context Mark 1 rangefinder camera With a Carl Zeiss Tessar f28 50mm lens. He had always liked photography, but he had never had any money to spend for a nice camera. Besides, his trip would provide many opportunities to get some nice photos. Most of his life he had lived without a lot of creature comforts, so why not enjoy himself a little and splurge some. The leg from Halifax, Nova Scotia to St. Lambert Montreal was the longest one and took approximately 22 hours. So we got a sleeper for this portion of the ride, and the leg from Schenectady to Chicago took close to 17 hours, so we got a sleeper for that one as well. The scenery on this trip was spectacular. In addition to the beautiful waterways and views, the magnificent Great Lakes, there was also wondrous national forest to Gawcat. Go Grandpa Gordon also got to enjoy the views of Haga Valley National Park. Indiana Dunes, National Park, Fort Stanwix, and Mississippi National River Recreation Area. Even though he did not get to explore them individually, he was able to see quite a bit from his railroad car. What he could see only served to whet his appetite for more. He vowed to someday make the trip by car so that he could explore these sites more closely. When he arrived in Chicago, he hired one of the tour guides that were ensconced at the train terminal. When he hired the guide, he made the stipulation that he only had four hours for the tour, so the guide suggested they take a drive down a few of the most popular and spectacular thoroughfares. He took it first down Michigan Avenue where he saw Stevens Hotel, which was at the time the largest hotel in the world, with over three thousand rooms. He also saw the Chicago Public Library that housed over eight hundred thousand volumes. Wrigley Building, a four hundred and thirty-eight foot tall multi-tower white office building, the shed aquarium known as Mission Blue Hotspot and the Chicago Museum of Natural History. They continued their tour and drove by Soldier Field Stadium, where they came upon Wrigley Tower, and merchandise marked the largest commercial and design center in the world. They continued with their tour and passed the Civic Opera House, which was a 42-story building that covered an entire city block. They continued on by the Board of Trade building, which housed the largest grain exchange in the world. It was capped off with a statue of Ceres, the goddess of agriculture. They had just enough time to visit one more street, and that was Randolph Street, where there were hundreds of theaters, dance pavilions, shops, and restaurants. While on the street, the guide stopped at a street corner vendor at his behest for one of Chicago's famous hot dogs. Boy, was it a good dog. He had been thinking about it since the last time he had traveled to the Windy City four long years ago. Thanks to his mother's law him, he had slept right through the layover, and therefore missed out on that delicacy. He was bound and determined not to miss out on it on again. After he finished shaving his delectable hot dog, the guide speeded him back to the train terminal via Gold Coast Street, where they passed by beaches and marinas, and Jackson Park, which housed a famous water tower. The Fine Arts Building, recently renamed Museum of Science and Industry, the statue of the Republic created by sculptor Daniel Chester French, Buckingham Fountain, a gift by Catherine Buckingham, and the Fountain of Time created by the world-famous sculptor Laredo Taft. By the time he had revived back to the turning terminal, his head was ready to explode from all the things he had just seen. He surely got his $2 worth. Thank goodness he was able to snap some photos along the way so he would be able to go back and take a look at them later. He quickly hopped onto his next exchange and began the portion of his train ride to Minneapolis. He had to admit that even though he was enjoying himself immensely on this train ride back home, the anticipation of seeing his family was starting to get to him. He was going to arrive in Minneapolis at 10.56 p.m., so he ended up staying at a small sleazy hotel near the train station. The final leg was scheduled to be part at 8 a.m. in the morning. He had eaten in the train, so when he arrived at the station, he immediately crashed on the bed in his motel room. It was a lumpy bed, but he had slept on far worse mattresses and in far worse accommodations. Actually, that night was the best he had slept in quite some time. It was nice not to feel his room moving or having to listen to bomb and mortar shells exploding. When he finally made it back to the farm in Sauk Center, his family had a big handmade banner hanging from the front porch, and his whole family was there to greet him. They had put on quite a spread for him with even a cake and candles. It felt so good to be home with all of his loved ones. As time progressed on the farm, he found himself reminiscing more and more on events in his past life. A life that now seemed so alien to him. He could not believe how his life had changed and all the things he had seen during the war. The final horror that he got to experience was a flight over of the Auschwitz concentration camp. He was tasked with flying a photographic reconnaissance mission over the camp to get evidence of the atrocities being perpetrated by the Germans on the Jewish people. He could still see the billowing smoke spewing from the furnace smokestacks. He knew that he would have this entrenched in his memory for all eternity. He was not even sure if the photos he took would ever see the light of day. Another thing he started noticing, and in fact had, it had been occurring more and more frequently when he first boarded the transport ship, and that was his recurrent nightmares he was having. In these dreams, he was reliving all the kills he had made as a fighter pilot. He had kept on seeing the faces of the German pilots that he had shot down. Since there were no air-to-air missiles in World War II, all the dogfights that took place occurred in fairly close proximities. They were so close, in fact, that in many cases you even were able to see their expressions. There was a sort of intimacy involved in these aerial contests. Little did he know at the time that he was experiencing was post-traumatic stress disorder PTSD. Now there are resources to help the affected combatants. Unfortunately, back then, there was little to no real information on the subject, and there was no way to treat this order. So the vets had to suffer in silence. Most of them felt that if they expressed their feelings, it made them somehow less of a man. Lucky for him, Grandpa Gordon was young, healthy, and very resilient. He also had the supportive structure and love of a very close-knit family to help him to get through the difficult times that laid ahead I have a little asterisk by this because I will be discussing this in a little more detail later on in this chapter. It turns out that family is one of the best therapies for PTSD. Another great therapy is simply to talk about it. Since he was a decorated pilot, he had no problem finding people who wanted to listen to his war stories. So over time he regaled his adoring family and neighbors, the healing process proceeded in incremental fashion. The outdoors and fresh air can also be helpful in treating PTSD. Okay, obviously, he had that in spades on the farm. As the week progressed, he began to experience fewer and fewer nightmares until his sleep pattern had returned to normal. And a matter of fact, as the symptoms of his PTSD faded away, his youthful exuberance began taking over and he started getting antsy all over again. There was, in fact, only so much visiting that a young man could take. He had caught up with all of his friends and family, and in fact, his stories were becoming a little stale and repetitive. Another thing he started noticing, and that was that he no longer was satisfied with his life on the farm. Frankly, when he got back, he wasn't sure how he would really feel. He knew that he had planned on joining the U.S. Air Force, but he also wanted to leave his options open as well. Now he was finding it harder and harder to relate with his friends. While he was secure in the fact that he would always have his family, His friends from high school and the neighboring farmers were not so close anymore. They just could not relate with his experiences. They could not comprehend the atrocities that he had witnessed and the lives that he had taken. He was coming to the realization that he missed being around people who had the same experiences. He could relate to these people a whole lot better. Despite the effort he had made not to establish close relationships in a war, he had found that they still happened. Now he in fact missed those relationships. friendships that he has established there was something about sharing near-death experiences that brought you closer together so if he had ever had any doubt about this feature they were all squelched over the last few months he finally came to the realization that it was time to move on even though his parents were sad to hear about his plans they knew that this day would come when they had met him on the train terminal in sock center they had quickly realized he had become a sober, quiet, and reserved young man. They could see not only pain in his eyes, but also hardness there as well. He still hugged and kissed them, but things had changed. Their baby was no more. It made them sad, but proud as well. So, Grandpa Gordon packed all his belongings and gave his keepsakes to his siblings. His parents had kept his room just so he had left it when he went off to Canada. He now realized that he could not come home anymore. Too much had, had changed. So he told his parents to use the room for something else. His mother had always wanted the sewing room. So that is what they did. They converted his room to a sewing room where she could work on her quilts and other projects. His mother could not bear hearing or saying goodbye again. So this time it was just his papa that drove him to the Air Force recruitment office in Minneapolis. He would not hear of him taking the train this time. When his father pulled up to the recruiter's office, they simply shook hands. Their tears had already been shed at the farm. There were no more tears left. As he walked into the office and was greeted by an agent attired in a dress uniform, his father sped away with fresh tears streaming down his face. Now the asterisk is taking place here. Whatever your personal experiences or symptoms, the following tips can offer effective ways to help you heal and move on PTSD self help tip one, challenge your sense of helplessness. Recovering from PTSD is a gradual ongoing process. Healing doesn't happen overnight, nor do the memories of the trauma ever disappear completely. This can make life seem difficult at times, but there are many steps you can take to cope with the residual symptoms and reduce your anxiety and fear. Overcoming your sense of helplessness is key to overcoming PTSD. Trauma leaves you feeling powerless and vulnerable. It's important to remind yourself that you have strength and coping skills that you can get through tough times. One of the best ways to reclaim your sense of power is by helping others, volunteer your time, give blood, reach out to a friend in need, or donate to your favorite charity. Taking positive action directly challenges a sense of helplessness that is a common symptom of PTSD. Positive ways of coping with PTSD. Learn about trauma and PTSD. Join a PTSD support group. Relax, practice relaxation techniques. Pursue outdoor activities. Confide in a person you trust. Spend time with positive people. Avoid alcohol and drugs. Enjoy the peace of nature. Tip two: get moving. When you're suffering from PTSD, exercise can do more than release endorphins and improve your mood and outlook. By really focusing on your body and how it feels as you move, exercise can actually help your nervous system become more efficient. Rhythmic exercise that engages both your arms and legs, such as walking, running, swimming, or dancing, instead of focusing on your thoughts. Focus on how your body feels. Notice the sensation of your feet hitting the ground, for example, or the rhythm of your breathing, or the feeling of the wind on your skin. Rock climbing, boxing, weight training, or martial arts. These activities can make it easier to focus on your body movements. After all, if you don't, you could get hurt. Spending time in nature, pursuing outdoor activities like hiking, camping, mountain biking, rock climbing, whitewater rafting, and skiing helps veterans cope with PTSD symptoms and transition back into civilian life. Anyone with PTSD can benefit from the relaxation, seclusion, and peace that come with being out in nature. Seek out local organizations that offer outdoor recreation or team building opportunities. Tip number three, reach out to others for support. PTSD can make you feel disconnected from others. You may be tempted to withdraw from social activities and your loved ones, but it's important to stay connected to life and the people who care about you. You don't have to talk about the trauma if you don't want to, but the caring, support, and companionship of others is vital to your recovery. Reach out to someone who you can connect with for an uninterrupted period of time. Someone who will listen when you want to talk without judging, criticizing, or continually getting distracted. That person may be your significant other, a family member, a friend, or a professional therapist. Or you could try volunteering your time or reaching out to a friend in need. This is not only a great way to connect to others, but can also help you reclaim your sense of control. Joining a PTSD support group. This can help you feel less isolated and alone, and also provide invaluable information on how to cope with symptoms and work towards recovery. Tip number four, support PTSD treatment with a healthy lifestyle. The symptoms of PTSD can be hard on your body, so it is important to take care of yourself and develop some healthy lifestyle habits. Take time to relax. Relaxation techniques such as meditation, deep breathing, massage, or yoga can activate the body's relaxation response and ease symptoms of PTSD. Avoid alcohol and drugs. When you're struggling with difficult emotions and traumatic memories, you may be tempted to self-medicate with alcohol or drugs, but substance use worsens many symptoms of PTSD, interferes with treatment, and can add to problems in your relationships. Eat a healthy diet. Start your day right with breakfast and keep your energy up and your mind clear with balanced, nutritious meals throughout the day. Omega-3s play a vital role in emotional health So incorporate foods such as fatty fish, flax seeds, and walnuts into your diet. Limit processed food, fried food, refined starches, sugars, which can exacerbate mood swings and cause fluctuations in your energy. Get enough sleep. Sleep deprivation can trigger anger, irritability, and moodiness. Aim for somewhere between 7 and 9 hours of sleep each night. Develop a relaxing bedtime ritual. Listening to calming music, watching a funny show, or read something light and make a betterment as quiet, dark, and soothing as possible. Getting professional help for PTSD. If you suspect that you or a loved one has post-traumatic stress disorder, it's important to seek help right away. The sooner PTSD is treated, the easier it is to overcome. If you're reluctant to seek help, keep in mind that PTSD is not a sign of weakness, and the only way to overcome it is to confront what happened to you and learn to accept it as part of your past. This process is much easier with the guidance and support of an experienced therapist or doctor. It's only natural to want to avoid painful memories and feelings. But if you try to numb yourself and push your memories away, PTSD will only get worse. You can't escape your emotions completely. They emerge under stress or whenever you let down your guard and trying to do so is exhausting. The avoidance will ultimately harm your relationships, your ability to function, and the quality of your life. The information that I have included at the end of this chapter is by no means a definitive and comprehensive discussion on the subject of PTSD. I included it here so that it can serve as a starting point or place. I devoted more time to the subject in my book *The making a life of a registered nurse in the era of COVID-19. Chapter 14, My Battle with PTSD. In this chapter, I covered it more in depth. It is definitely an important topic. Countless people suffer from it, and it claims way too many lives every year. If you suspect that you are suffering from it, Seek treatment, don't become a statistic. That ends my reading of chapter five, and I will be going over to starting chapter eight or I'm sorry, six in just a moment. Chapter six Grandpa Gordon Re enlists. Since the war was officially over by September 2nd, 1945, Grandpa Gordon figured it would take some time for not only the government but the military to get their houses in order. He figured that the first of January, 1946, should be enough time for them to decide what their needs would be. He had been following the news and he knew that there were going to be problems with Russia. Little did he know that he would be embroiled in a Cold War from March 12, 1947 till December 26, 1991 and that we'd be engaged in two major wars to stem the expansion of communism. He, however, knew that there would be a need for pilots no matter what. So he felt that his career path was secure. He also believed, rightly so, that his military record with the RCAF would make him a tempting prospect for the air force. He had left the RCAF as a first lieutenant so he hoped that he would be able to move up pretty quickly in the ranks. Little did he know that he would be signed up as a captain. When he heard the news he was elated but there was one stipulation that he was needed to go back. He needed to go back and get a college degree. Due to the extenuating circumstances related to the war with Germany, they had overlooked some of the educational requirements and had allowed cadets to test out for promotions. Those circumstances no longer existed so now it was back to hitting the books. There was also one more thing he would have to relocate to San Antonio, Texas. Frankly, Grandpa Gordon was okay with that. He actually found that as he got older and matured some he actually began to enjoy school especially when there was a tangible goal in sight. He wasn't just going to school to go to school. There was a reason for it. It turned out it wasn't so bad after all. They only expected him to get an associate's degree. They also gave him credit for the class he had already taken. And they also gave him credit for his flight time. So it only took him one year to get his degree instead of two. And they not only paid for his classes, they gave him a stipend and housed him on the base. To keep his flying skills current, they mandated he spent at least two hours a week flying one thing is for sure you did not have to twist his arm in the six months since he had left the rcaf he had not been in a plane once and boy did he miss it his routine kept him busy for the next year or so and that time seemed to just fly by no pun intended once he graduated they kept their word and promoted him to captain's position because of his ability to fly multiple planes and his positive attitude and strong work ethic they also made him a flight instructor He found that he really enjoyed instructing new cadets and made him feel like he was giving something back to the system, a system that had given him so much to him. During this time, he only dated casually, he went out mainly in groups where they met up and went to dances. There was nothing serious going on and he had formed no serious relationships during this time. Besides, it was hard to find someone because there was always a chance that he, he would get orders to transfer to another base, so it seemed better to just keep it casual. Beating the love of your life while you are a cadet at cadet school or are hopping from base to base only happens in the movies. This went on for another year, which now brings us to the summer of 1948. There are times or events that set the tone for your life. You know the ones I'm talking about. Because everyone has experienced these events. What makes or breaks each individual is whether or not you take advantage of them or how you deal with them this summer several headhunters from air force air force base in las vegas nevada came by the training school in san antonio looking for likely instructors for a new flight school they wanted instructors with fighter pilot experience and they had heard of captain gordon anderson he just so happened to be the top ace at this base with 10 victories in the european theater When they arrived at the base, they immediately started watching him teach his classes. They watched him take his students up in flight drills, and they watched him fly demonstration dogfights with other instructors. They could see he was the superior pilot in each of these dogfights. In every aspect of his training, he excelled. He engaged with his cadets, and they seemed to be riveted with his instructions and in his classes. The Vegas boys could see that he was a natural instructor and trainer. After they watched him for a couple of days, they got together and discussed what they had saw. They all agreed that he was what they were looking for in a flight instructor. They informed the base commander, CO, Colonel Sidney Jameson, Jameson, of their decision to talk to Captain Gordon Anderson and their plan to make him an offer. The CO said that he would be sad to see him go since he was well liked and was their best instructor. He also said he was not standing his way. He knew that this captain could really do some good work in this new program. The next day before Captain Gordon Anderson held his first class of the day, They pulled him aside and brought him to the CO's office. Of course, Grandpa Gordon had seen them around the base, but being the good soldier that he was, he had not questioned their presence. So it was with no little trepidation that he followed them to the CO's office. The three headhunters introduced themselves to Captain Gordon Anderson and said they were from Las Vegas Air Force Base. They then started discussing what their mission there was. He merely felt better about the situation. He now knew that the meeting was not punitive in nature. They stated that there was a need for a unified school for training high quality pilots. These pilots would be, in turn train more pilots. They also said that they were looking for the best of the best, which meant World War II Fighter Aces. The school would be located in Las Vegas Air Force Base and would be called the Aircraft Gunnery School. The training would be exhaustive and would last five and a half months. There would be two classes a year. They would only take the best pilots from the Air Force for these classes. It told Captain Gordon that he had all the right tools to make a great instructor at the school. However, there was one stipulation. He had to pass a class before he could teach it. After he had heard their spiel, he looked over at his commanding officer and he got a nod from him. He turned back to the three headhunters and said with a big grin on his face and said, Yes. He then asked, Where do I sign? However, he had one caveat of his own, and that was if the U.S. entered another war, he wanted the opportunity to be able to fight in that war. He said that he wanted to fight for his country this time. They all agreed. Little did they know how prescient this request would be because the Korean War would take place in just two short years. The next day, he filled out all the appropriate documents, packed his few belongings, and set out for his new future in the land of sin. He hopped on a Douglas C-54 Skymaster transport plane to the base while the three headhunters went in search of their next prospect. That concludes chapter six. Uh, It also concludes my podcast for today. You have a great day, and I hope you have enjoyed my readings from my book. It's still a work in progress. I'm up to chapter 19 now, um, making good progress over 300 pages. So it is kind of morphing as I write. So we'll see where it takes us. I know what the ending is going to be, but the journey is a little bit unclear as of yet. You have a great day. Take care.